0: That's DRIZLY.com today. You're listening to Hashtag No Filter. With Zach Peter, welcome back everybody to Hashtag No Filter. I'm so excited because um, I had this guest, today's guest on... I want to say almost maybe a year ago when her last book came out. Uh, she's a writer. She's an editor. Like me, she's a recovering perfectionist. I think I'm still a bit of a perfectionist, but her 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 books have been helping me through the process. She's known as the anti-guru, um, and she's back on Hashtag No Filter this week uh, to help me break down her new book, which is called You Do You. Please welcome Sarah Knight.
1: Hello. Thank you for having me back.
0: How are you, Sarah?
1: I'm good. I'm 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 quite well. And yeah, I think it's been almost a year since we spoke.
0: I th- yeah, your book came out in December of last year. Mm-hmm. Get your shit together, and now we're back to talk about you. Do you?
1: Yeah. Um. I guess it's been an eventful year. I managed to write a whole other book, <laughs> and now it's out. And uh, I've been talking about it with folks like you, and it makes me very happy that it's finally. Uh, Out in the world, since it was stuck in my head for quite some time.
0: A lot has happened since we last spoke. I mean, the world has changed a little bit. You've been very fired up on Twitter.
1: I have. I I tend to lose my filter uh, when it comes to social media. So anybody who's interested in more no filter can feel free to follow me.
0: (laughs) Well, you're in the right place. Hashtag no filter. (sighs) Okay, Sarah, so before we get into the book, because I have a lot of questions, I've been loving mm-hmm. it, um, you have to answer my icebreaker questions. Okay. So the first question is, what's one word your mom would use to describe you? Smart. Smart. That's a nice word. Why would she call you Smart.
1: Uh, I think that she is also a little bit afraid of me (laughs) (laughs) and that probably has to do with what she perceives as, um, my, my intelligence that I have displayed since I was a very small child, which could also be called precociousness, perhaps.
0: (laughs) I love it. Um, question number two, give me a fun fact. What's one thing about you people would not expect?
1: Something that people would not expect. Is that something they wouldn't expect? I can't whistle and I can't snap.
0: Oh. Like at all?
1: Like I'm physically incapable of making a whistling sound with my mouth and I can't make a snapping sound with my fingers.
0: That's interesting. I'm sure there's something on YouTube you can watch that can help you.
1: I don't know. Many people (laughs) have tried to teach me. I'm a lost cause, I think. Oh, no.
0: Okay, what is your drink of choice? An Aperol Spritz. Oh, that's like a really trendy drink lately. I've, I've heard a it, lot about an Aperol Spritz.
1: Yeah, it became trendy for me when I started living in the Dominican Republic, and I always, I wanted something sort of cold that I could drink on a really hot day, and something that had a Slightly lower alcohol content so that I could drink a lot of it because I have deemed 3 p.m. spritz o'clock. So (laughs) if I start drinking at 3 o'clock, it's really helpful if I have something a little bit light. So the Aperol spritz really fits all those
0: categories for me. I love it. Speaking of, you tweeted a little earlier, um, you took a poll. And I want to know how, what you were, hold on, I'm going to read your tweet. Um, you said, I have to stay awake for another 90 minutes to be on Just Plain Zach's hashtag no filter podcast to pass the time. I will um, A, watch AL Senate coverage, B, drink third glass of wine, C, get increasingly agitated, or D, all of the above. What what was the consensus?
1: Uh, well, the, the actual answer <laughs> is D, uh, but it seems like... My followers are choosing... They're, they're about 50-50 split between just drinking the third glass of <laughs> wine and all of the above. So no, like, just get Some people tonight. obviously have my best interests at heart and are hoping that I was not watching the Alabama Senate coverage, but in fact, I was glued to the television.
0: Oh, no. How's it been going?
1: Uh, it's just, it's you know, impossible to predict and yeah. making me angry. And uh, even though I live out of the country now, I have access to... American news coverage, and sometimes I wish I didn't.
0: It's heavy. Sometimes I just have to take a break because it's so yeah. much. Um, okay, next question. What's Give me an embarrassing moment that you learned something from.
1: Oh, dear. Well, I, okay, an X-rated one just flitted through my head, and I'm not going <laughs> to say that because eventually I'm going to post a link to this podcast, and I don't need my parents to know about that one. <laughs> Um, an embarrassing moment that I learned from, the, the problem is that I don't get super embarrassed by much. So it has to be really, really bad. Uh, I will say that recently, in my new hometown in this little fishing village in the Dominican Republic, mm-hmm. I was at a party at um, the home of some other American expats. And there were a lot of people there that I didn't know and some people that I did know. And I did end up in my underwear in the swimming pool. Oh. Uh, And I did also notice another somewhat uh, creepy expat taking video from the other end of the pool. So the fact that I was drunk enough to do that but not so drunk that I don't remember what happened has taught me that perhaps I should not... Strip down to my underwear and get in a pool at a party full of people. I don't know when somebody might have their iPhone camera trained on me.
0: Oh, yeah, I have a very, um, my story also involves being at a party with people I didn't know. I didn't get naked, but I mean, I probably would have had I been allowed <laughs> to. It involved, yeah, so it involved an it organic me- spray tan and a lot of tequila.
1: Oh, dear. Well, tequila is usually the culprit, <laughs> isn't it?
0: Are you a tequila drinker?
1: I love tequila, but I perhaps love it a little bit too
0: much. So
1: everything in moderation.
0: Fair. Yes. Um, If you had to be reincarnated as a Kardashian, which one would it be? I feel like this is the most telling question of them all.
1: Oh, I would totally be Kim.
0: Kim. Why Kim?
1: I just feel like she's got a head on her shoulders. She's a very savvy businesswoman. Um, I think that... Chloe is a little bit too kind of nasty for my taste. And Mm. Courtney um, is kind of lame, I think. I, I hate to say that if there's any Courtney fans out there, but I'm not impressed by her. Um, and the two younger ones, I just can't really deal with because I'm, I'm 39 and they didn't really come onto the scene until I was too old to have formed opinions (laughs) about the Kardashians. So I kind of think Kim is like, you know, she's like the OG. Yeah. She's kind of of the spearhead of
0: them all. Courtney used to be my pick, but now lately, like the past few weeks, I've been leaning a lot more towards Kim.
1: Yeah. I just feel like I'm not, I'm not super impressed by Courtney's uh, relationship choices, um, yeah. that doesn't mean that Kim that doesn't mean that Kim has expressed good relationship choices either, but I just feel like Scott Disick is a real drain on the whole.
0: Well yeah, now her new boyfriend's like this twenty four year old kid that she's helping build a restaurant together with.
1: Yeah, she's doing like the, the J Lo, Mariah Carey, like Janet Jackson, date the young, you know, backup dancer kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Well I mean yeah. hey, Courtney, you do you, right? Exactly. (laughs) Okay, so let's get into it. Your book, um, it's called You Do You, When It's Okay to Be Selfish, Why It's Pointless to Be Perfect, and How to Be Difficult. Like, are we talking Mariah Carey difficult?
1: Um, It's about being difficult in the sense that you stand up for yourself to get what you want, need, and deserve out of life, but not becoming the kind of person that nobody wants to deal with.
0: Okay, so not becoming Mariah Carey on New Year's Eve. Correct. (laughs) Okay so your first book was uh the life-changing magic of not giving a fuck and then your second book was get your shit together so what is how does this book fit into the no fucks given guide
1: So there's a, definitely a natural arc of all three of my books, although you can read them out of order in any order. I definitely design them that way, but you do you is my most personal book. Mm. I would say that, you know, everybody wants to learn how they can give fewer, better fucks and kind of rid themselves of certain obligations. And, you know, people need to understand how to be more organized and get their shit together in order to have what they want out of life. But that second book was a little bit more work for people Whereas You Do You just takes it right back to just bare bones. You know what? Accept who you are. Have confidence in who you are. Accept your flaws. You know, Use them to your advantage. And you don't really have to do anything new. You just have to accept the person that you already are. So it's a lot less work than my other books. And it's definitely a lot more personal in terms of the stories that
0: I tell. Why do you think some people have such an issue with accepting who they are. Cause I feel like I go through this a lot where I'm like, you know, I, I want to embrace me and I like who I am, but then sometimes I'm just like, so fucking insecure and just like beating down on myself constantly.
1: I just think that society and culture and other people really uh, wears us down. And, you know, we're trained from such a young age to, keep up with the Joneses and to be concerned about what other people think of us. And I think it's just a really hard thing to shake. And, you know, I'm 39 years old, and it's taken me until now to embrace these ideas and to write, you know, an instructive book about them. But it certainly hasn't been uh, a picnic. And I think that, you know, the real key is just understanding that the only person that you can really look out for is you and, you know, be concerned with your own actions and, you know, being a good person and really not worry about what anybody else thinks. And it's not, you know, it's a very simple concept. It's not necessarily easy to implement, but it is very simple. So um, all my books, I think, are at their core pretty simple concepts.
0: Yeah, you just have to, I think the first step is just being willing to actually do it.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: Um, you De- know,
1: deciding it's, that enough is enough you yeah know?
0: absolutely I, I've, I've always been the type of person that doesn't like to doesn't like to make waves and like doesn't like to have issues with other people so for the longest time I just moved into a new office back in August and um some new tenants moved in next door and they are just so loud and rambunctious and obnoxious and they're just like these it's like these four annoying 20 year old kids that are just, screw around in the office all day because there's no management there Um and so it just got to a point where they were so like it was just so distracting to myself and to my team that like I was all like I tried to avoid it for so long and kind of just hoped that they would kind of settle down and I would you know say a couple of things and eventually it kind of got to the point where I had to put my foot down but it, it at first it felt so weird because I'm like I don't want to you know, I don't, I don't want to cause any trouble. I don't want to ruffle any feathers. But then afterwards I was like, no, like this is disrupting the product, the productivity of, you know, my company. Like I need to, to, to put my foot down and it felt so good to kind of, you know, step up and, and, you know, prioritize what we needed and what I needed. And that was for them to yeah. the fuck up.
1: Yeah. That's uh, a lot of what I talk about in the chapter on being difficult is to, you know, stand up for what you want and ask for what you want and also, uh, you know, push back on what you don't want. And, you know, some people would say, oh, you're being so difficult. And I would say, actually, I'm being perfectly reasonable about what I need in order to have, you know, a good work environment or a good relationship or whatever it is. And it's really important, I think, to stand, stand up for yourself in those situations.
0: Okay, so in the book, in the second section, you have the do's and don'ts rules for the breaking. I want to go through each of these rules because I feel like they're really, I mean, obviously you wrote this for a reason, but I feel like they're very common things that we, social pressures that we feel like we have to live up to. Um, and you break it down in a way that I i, I really like, and I, I would like you to break them down here on the show for my listeners. Cool. First one is don't be selfish. I am always so afraid of not only just being difficult, but also being being selfish, I feel like it's mean.
1: Yeah, I mean I talk about this, you know, extensively. I devoted a whole chapter to it because in my other books I've touched on the concept of selfishness and it's the thing that a lot of people, even though they love not giving a fuck and they're so happy to have their shit together, they still kind of push back on the idea of being selfish and they say, I just I'm just not sure you're right about that. I just don't feel comfortable. And so I kind of took it upon myself to really hammer this point home, which is that there is a, a huge spectrum of selfishness, and some of it is indeed bad, and you shouldn't do it. But some of it is good, and it's beneficial to you. And I think that the measurement is, you know, if you're going to do something or say something or make a decision that is helping you more than it's hurting anybody else, then, you know that, probably clues you in to the fact that this might be a time to be selfish in a productive way. And you know, I think that's often synonymous with self-care. But the point that I make in the book is that as kids, we're socialized to not be selfish. You know, your parents tell you, your teachers tell you, don't be selfish, don't be selfish. And and you think in a very simple sort of binary way that being selfish is a bad thing. But as you grow up, you're able to recognize nuance in a situation. And it's okay to say, oh, this is actually good selfish. This is actually me taking care of myself and not hurting anybody else in the process. And that's okay. I'm allowed to do it. Or it's me taking care of myself and it's only mildly you know, inconveniencing somebody else. Uh, the point of all three of my books is to do all of the things that I teach people how to do without turning into an asshole. Or in the case of You Do You, I say without turning into a psychopath. Uh, because one of the, you know, prime diagnostic measures of a psychopath is that they have no empathy. Right. And I'm certainly not trying to tell you to be devoid uh, of empathy for other people, but I do think you have to be much more clued in to, uh, you know, to your own needs.
0: Now, what about this whole? Because I feel like, especially people in my age range, we're, we're very entitled. And I feel like this kind of relates to that, where like they feel like they need to be selfish and they need to be a little difficult um, to in in a form of self self care. But that idea is convoluted a little bit. How do we distinguish what is being selfish in true self care and what is just true entitlement?
1: Well, I think that if you really sit down to think about whatever situation this might apply to, most people who aren't psychopaths can can recognize the difference between good selfish and bad selfish. So, you know, one of the examples I use in the book is um, if you really need to get eight hours of sleep because, you know, it makes you happier, it makes you calmer, it makes you a better parent or a kinder spouse, uh, and that's really important to you and you need to tell your family, you know, good night don't talk to me for eight hours, I'm getting my sleep. That's being selfish. You know, you're taking your energy away from them and you're doing it to, you know, for your own good uh, health and vibes and for your own feelings. But what you can't do is decide to take an eight-hour nap on the couch in the middle of the living room and expect your family to tiptoe around you because you need your eight hours of sleep and you've decided to inconvenience them in the process. So I think that in any situation where you're trying to decide whether or not to be selfish, you can, you know, I mean, instinctively whether what you're doing is really inconveniencing or really upsetting other people. And if it's not, then it's okay to, you know, be a little bit selfish.
0: Okay. So I did go on a date once where a guy cut it short because he needed to get his eight hours of sleep. And I was just like, like, I get we had like a full hour, but like, that's kind of a dick move. Like you don't want to get laid tonight. I don't know, man. I mean, you, you need your beauty sleep. Uh, I mean, I get uh, Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think I would rather have an, an hour of good sex instead of an hour, an extra hour of sleep. That's just my personal preference.
1: Well, you do you.
0: <laughs> okay. Next one is do your best. So We're always told to do our best. About... And I feel like this is kind of, it relates to like that perfectionist complex.
1: Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you. Um, That whole chapter is about being a perfectionist and about, you know, perfection being kind of a myth and something that you're never really going to achieve. So if you spend all of your time devoting yourself to it, you're just going to come up short and then it's going to make you feel even worse, which is what happened to me uh, as somebody who, you know, was a lifelong type A overachieving perfectionist until the last few years. And, you know, the interpretation of do's and don'ts is obviously a little bit loose, but I think that we're all conditioned from, you know, our parents, our teachers, our coaches, um, you know, do your best, do your best, do your best. And that can really start to, you know, take a toll on the psyche of, uh, of a child, and if you're somebody like me or maybe somebody like you, you know, it can be actually really debilitating the older you get and, and the more you realize that you can't always do your best. And so then you become really upset about it. So what I talk about in the book, and I touch on this in Get Your Shit Together also, is, you know, accepting failure and understanding that you can't be perfect and just trying to, you know, keep some of that anxiety at bay by just accepting the fact that perfection is a myth.
0: I just want to be perfect so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I think you really need to finish the book. <laughs> okay. What about, I like this next one. Um, don't quit your day job. Cause I feel like we get told a lot about having to climb the corporate ladder and make it to the top and don't quit your day job. Screw your side hustle.
1: Yeah. This chapter is really about taking risks and, you know, I use the metaphor, don't quit your day job as something that um, a recurring character in the book is called Judgy McJudgerson. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Judgy is somebody else, or maybe it's the person, you know, in your head who's saying, don't do that, you won't succeed. I wouldn't do that if I were you. I don't believe in you. Um, don't take that risk. And so, you know, I, I open the chapter with my own story about pretty spectacularly quitting my day job, which was a, you know, really solid, successful career of 15 years to go freelance. And then, you know, how I started writing these books and my life is, you know, completely different two and a half years later, I've moved to a tropical island, I've left New York mm-hmm. City. Um, but you don't have to do it like that. It doesn't have to literally mean don't quit your day job. But the idea is, yes, you know, take a risk, do that thing that you're slightly scared of doing. And more importantly, uh, don't let other people's opinions influence your big or small life decisions in a in an outsized way.
0: So you, you did quit your day job and you did, did become a successful book writer. What advice would you have to somebody that might be in that situation right now where they're unsure? You know, it, it, it's a big leap. You're losing that big paycheck. You're losing that growth on the corporate ladder. You're use, you're losing that status. What advice did you, did, did you, did, do you wish someone would have given you at that time?
1: Uh, Well, what I would say is my, my whole deal is to plan and be prepared. And, you know, I talk about this at length and get your shit together about strategizing, focusing and committing to whatever the big life choice is. So I would say that, you know, you don't have to be so scared of something if you can break it down into a series of much smaller, more manageable um, actions. And so when I was going about quitting my job, it's not as though I just waltzed into my boss's office and gave notice with no plan in place. I actually spent about a year saving money and making various decisions that would uh, inform my ability to start, you know, to hit the ground running on a freelance career, you know, building a website and all that kind of stuff so that I would be ready to go. So, you know, I would tell people that, and I talk about this in You Do You – that I'm not really a risk taker in the sense of I don't want to jump out of an airplane. I don't want to eat poison blowfish. You know, yes. I'm not telling you to just go out there and risk it all and you know bet your life savings on black and hope for the best. What I'm saying is don't let um, sort of the doubters and the haters stop you from taking a risk that you are really excited about taking. And then you know in terms of the actual action steps, uh, I really go into detail on that and get your shit together and how to, you know, how to enact those big changes.
0: So I feel like a lot, you covered a lot of the, the do's and don'ts, the wills and won'ts, shoulds and shouldn'ts. It's a lot about these social pressures and these norms that we've kind of had to subscribe to for so long that you're now starting to, to break down. Why do you think it's so challenging for us. I mean, especially even people my age, why it's so challenging for us to, to let go of those old um, ideas of how, how we're supposed to live.
1: I just think, and you know, I use this idea of the social contract as the sort of framing device for the whole book. And these things that we're taught from a young age, you know, that are drilled into our head, don't be selfish, do your best, that kind of thing. And I have found that I've had a really successful life having bucked uh, the system in a lot of ways. You know, even when I was young enough to not realize I was doing it. So, for example, in the chapter uh, where where I talk about not being a team player, I was always a really solitary, independent, lone wolf kind of kid. And I always hated being forced into these groups, you know, whether it was an actual team like a sports team and gym class or some sort of cooperative group, you know, doing, working on a project for a, for a class. And I really chafed at that and I didn't know how to explain it when I was 10 years old or 13 years old. Mm -hmm. And now I do. Now I understand how to talk about, you know, the pleasure of being alone and how to talk about not needing to be dependent on anybody else or wanting other people to be dependent on you for their success. And so I feel like if I can give um, voice to that in You Do You, that it might catch people who are younger, it might catch people your age or people, you know, even another five or 10 years younger, um, and give them the tools to say, wait a minute, it's okay to do things my way. I don't have to be a team player just because that's what people expect from you. Um, So, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that even though it is difficult to come to those realizations or at least to act on them, what I'm doing is giving people a little bit of a, of a playbook to come to it sooner than I did and to benefit from it earlier than I did.
0: Okay. My favorite one has to be, um, it's one of the shouldn'ts and it's, you shouldn't act so crazy. And I feel like (laughs) I've really learned to kind of embrace my inner crazy, um, and poke fun at it. Why, why do you think we fight that idea so much?
1: I think that there's just a lot of shame tied up in, uh, so are you you know, that, in everybody. Are you saying that we at, should allow oh, Donald sorry. Trump
0: to be crazy? I'm,
1: yeah. So <laughs> I think, sorry, I'm, I'm just, you're cutting out a little bit.
0: I said, so are you, are you saying we should allow Donald Trump to, to embrace his inner crazy?
1: Uh, no, he is just <laughs> actually a psychopath, which is, which is, you know, a, a, a whole other situation that, as I said, I do not endorse. <laughs> um, no, the chapter about you shouldn't act so crazy is really centered around mental health and the fact that you should feel that it's okay to display uh, not only symptoms of any kind of quote unquote crazy that you might possess. I, for example, suffer from depression and anxiety and panic disorder. And I don't think that there should be so much stigma attached to those things. So I think you should be able to say to someone like, you know, sometimes I, could, I had to call into work because I had a panic attack. And I just told my boss I had a panic attack instead of trying to pretend like I had food poisoning for the 12th time that year. Um, so you shouldn't act so crazy. That chapter is really about, yeah, you know what? you should feel comfortable announcing to the world that there are some things about you that are not necessarily, you know, quote, unquote, normal. Um, And you should feel like it's okay to perform whatever self-care or diagnostic or medical uh, rituals you might need to perform in order to rein that in. Um, So I really think there's, there's a slight difference between that chapter and the one that I believe is called You Will Never Live That Down. Yeah. Um, and that is really about, like, letting your freak flag fly in a fun, um, you know, purposeful, I'm doing this because I want to do it, I'm doing this because I want to jump in the pool um, in my underwear in front of all these people, <laughs> as opposed to the crazy chapter, which is really more about, strictly more about mental health. Mental health.
0: Um, so you've written three books now. You've given people practical guides. You've taught us how to not give a fuck anymore. You've taught us how how to really, you've given us the guide on how to get our shit together. Now you, you're showing us how to embrace who we are and how to be okay with that for people in their early 20s. What's one co- common core message that's um, in all three of your books that you think they really need to hear right now?
1: I think the thing that ties all three books together is right from the very beginning of book number one, you need to stop giving a fuck about what other people think. And, you know, that starts in book one. In book two, it's all about you, your goals, how you achieve them, and not competing against anybody else. That book is all about winning at your life and not Competing with anybody else, and then book three, you do you, takes that message to the forefront and is really all about self-acceptance and confidence. It's about caring for yourself, accepting who you are, not worrying about what other people think about you, not caring about what other people think about you, and then translating that newfound acceptance into confidence. So I think it's a pretty, it's a pretty uh, complete message in terms of the trilogy. And I get at it in different ways, some of which are a little bit more practical day to day. And in You Do You, I think they're more sort of holistic and mental, uh, psychological ways of, of looking at yourself in a different way.
0: I love it. And Sarah, your new book, You Do You, how to be who you are and use what you've got to get what you want. I love it it's on sale Thank now. You. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sarah. I've been enjoying the book and I appreciate you coming on to, to talk to me about it.
1: Yeah. Always happy to speak with you and, I uh, hope people, you know, get a little, get a little fun and a little bit of knowledge out of it. Um, or just some, you know, dirty jokes and, uh, <laughs> anti anti-Trump <laughs> language, which you will find plenty of.
0: <laughs> I love it. You do use on sale now and where can people go to follow you, Sarah?
1: They can go to SarahKnightAuthor.com and has info about all of my books, or they can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Medium at MCSnugs, which is M-C-S-N-U-G-Z.
0: Yes, and the link to buy the book and Sarah's social handles will be in the description below. Thank you so much, Sarah.
1: Fantastic. Thanks a lot.
0: Thank you guys for listening to a new episode of Hashtag No Filter with Zach Peter. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe and listen to us every Wednesday on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, now on Spotify. I saw that this morning. That's a thing. Um, So go and subscribe, listen, leave us a good review. Follow me at JustPlainZach. Be sure to get Sarah's new book, You Do You, How to Be Who You Are. Use what you've got to get what you want on sale right now. Again, the description. Uh, The link to buy the book is in the description below. Thank you guys so much for listening. I will be back next Wednesday. Also, don't forget it is the holiday season. So you'll want to grab your order of Dry Farm Wines, which is my favorite hangover free wine. Go to dryfarmwines.com slash Z-A-C-K Zach to order right now. So that way you're not hungover after the holidays. I got to go, but I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye.